away more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Please be seated. Who else is singing the Bobby McFerrin song in their mind? All right, just me. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Um, don't worry. Don't worry. Won't add a single hour to your life. Sounds pretty easy, right? Well, we are in the midst of a, a series on generosity. And when it comes to doing something like this, you know, Josh and I did not take this lightly. A lot of prayer and, and thought and discussion. And a book that had been given to me a while back from my father-in-law, I'm holding it right here in my hand. It's called The Treasure Principle, Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. If you haven't read this, you need to read it. Go on, uh, is it okay to say Amazon and Walmartville? But you need to order this book. It's a really, really good book. And what's pretty cool about it for me, too, is I read through it again, is all the markings in here. My father-in-law, I realize, reads this a couple times a year. He's a very generous person. But you need to read this book if you haven't as of yet. I wanted to read a little something here from chapter 3 as Randy Alcorn is the author of this book. And he happened to be in Cairo with some friends. And they drove past some Arabic, Arabic signs to a gate that opened to a plot of overgrown grass. It was a graveyard for American missionaries. As my family and I followed... Um, he pointed to the sun-scorched tombstone that read, William Borden, 1887-1913. Borden, a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth, rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt... He contracted a spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. I dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave. After describing his love and sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for the Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase I've never forgotten, and it said, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And then they took us to the Egyptian National Museum, where the King Tut exhibit was there, and it was mind-boggling. Tut, the boy king, was only 17 when he died, and he was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was found within gold tombs, within gold tombs, within gold tombs. The burial site was filled with literally tons of gold. The Egyptians believed in an afterlife, one where they could take the earthly treasures. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment stayed right there where they were, until Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber in 1922. They hadn't been touched for more than 3,000 years. And I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, and hidden off the back alley of a street littered with garbage. Tut's tomb glittered with the unimaginable wealth. Yet where are these two young men now? And a challenging and a humbling story to read and prosperity is not a bad word. It's a biblical word. It's not bad to be blessed financially, but what to do with it, that's, that's, a, that's a process in life. That's a journey with Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to be a missionary to be used by God in a mighty way. And John just read from you know, your bulletin, this public faith. We get to take it everywhere with us. But the story of William Borden, it was uh, pretty inspiring. And as we talk about generosity... 
And the lesson today is called Eyes on Eternity. I wanted us to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I thought that was such a practical scripture, poignant scripture, when you think about generosity. And we're not just talking about financial generosity, but that's mainly what we're hitting over this course of three or four weeks. But I want you to think about these verses right here as you really literally have to intentionally set your mind on things above. In Philippians 4, 4 through 8, it says you have to think about such things. Why? Because we are hidden in Christ. We are one with Christ, and we are to set our mind, our hearts on heavenly treasures that we get to use here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Josh has laid out, everything is his. And that's, that's a profoundly simple statement. But everything is his. We just get to manage it. And so the goal is to manage everything through a spirit of surrender, I notice for me, on a daily basis, with his spirit leading us and to see it grow from glory to glory. That's the glory of the new covenant. And so why do we want it to grow? And, and even this may be faulty theology, but I've always thought, well, if Christians are going to be giving and paying it forward, why wouldn't we want Christians to be really blessed? And that's the opportunity we have every day. Time, money, everything, we get to pay it forward. And as Josh mentioned a couple weeks ago, God doesn't prosper us just so we can raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Now, I want to say this because I want to reiterate it's true. <laughs> I'm not here this morning to tell you what to do with your money. Not here to tell you what to do with your money. But therein lies the tension because it's not really ours. <laughs> we, we've earned it well to a certain degree. The parable of the talents, he does co-labor with us. We are responsible. We make choices. We don't do everything just right. But it's his, and it's so much easier to part with our financial blessings when we realize that it's not really ours in the first place. And that's been a process for me to learn. It's his. It's all his. And what I want to touch on, just a couple things this morning, for some of you, this, this will really challenge you. You know, some, some of you out here may think that giving is optional. You know, don't tell me what to do with my money. Some of you, you're just going to get reminded, some of you may get some kind of revelation from the Lord. I don't know where you are, but I know each and every one of us at different times in our lives, we really need to spend some time and look at ourselves, look at our finances, pray, ask for God's leading and what he wants us to do in the sense of the spirit of generosity. What can get lost in this is that to truly live the blessed life, this life abundantly that Jesus talks about, we really have to challenge ourselves. And the challenge for me is to fully trust Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Jireh, to fully trust him with all of my finances or his finances that he's entrusted us with. This is challenging for me at different times. There's not a formula for this because we're supposed to trust him fully with all the finances he's entrusted us with, but this is tough for me. I am continually a work in progress because all of us have had times of you know, extreme abundance maybe. Maybe you haven't hit that yet. But I think most of us have had times of true financial insecurity when we literally didn't know how we're going to make it to the next week, not just month to month, but literally how we're going to make it to the next week. And so here's a question that we haven't hit yet that I want to talk about this morning. What about tithing? What about tithing? 
Is it for today? Isn't that a legalistic law from the Mosaic Covenant? I'm glad you asked, because we're going to talk about it a little bit. I'm not going to continually, uh, completely solve all this, but I do want to hit this. I want us to think about this. The idea of giving God the first fruits of your time, your money, your harvest, etc. Really, this has been in place in the hearts of his people from the beginning. One of the first examples you think about is Cain and Abel. Usually when we think of Cain and Abel, well, Cain killed Abel. He, had, he didn't resolve conflict too well. But Cain was giving offerings to God from the ground, and Abel was giving offerings, the choice of his livestock. God found favor. That's why it even happened in the first place. But at the beginning, this idea of giving God your first fruits, it's in his people. It's, we are made in his image. It's in our DNAs, especially as a new creation in Christ. It's who we are. We are to be generous generous giver. So this first fruits concept too, when you think of Abram, when he meets Melchizedek, after he took 318 of his trained men, went out and conquered some armies, and he met them, um, this, is, this is kind of a big deal too when you think about it, because we know that the king Melchizedek, the king of Salem, you know, brought out bread and wine and then blessed Abram. And Abram, without being told to, his initial response, compelled by love, compelled by honor, gave him a tenth of everything that he had. When you think about this concept of first fruits giving back to God, because we continue, we tend to view that as legalistic teaching when it comes to tithing, but this idea of first fruits have been, has been here a long time. And you can even read about it in Hebrews 7, it references it. Here's something that has really challenged me over the years. God challenges us and says, test me. So you look at Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And even Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, technically the new covenant hadn't been installed yet, but he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So we get caught up in all the you know, things about tithing. And here's the thing. Tithing was never meant to be our ceiling and giving, just our floor. It was never meant to be the ceiling. It was meant to be the floor. And you think about even tithes and offerings, and I'm not trying to place a formula on you, but the generosity, the way that we are in Christ and the way God has set things up, we are to be generous. And, and tithes is kind of a starting point. It's just to be our floor. Now, we're always learning about this. We're always growing in our trust with God the Father, especially with finances. But one of the things that really had an impact on me, and I'm not, I'm not going to tell this personal story to make myself look good. It's quite the opposite. But when I really felt led by the Lord to start a men's ministry back in 2010 and partner with some people where they would take care of all the financial things, and then you start it, and then the cushion that I had set up from being a good steward of my money once you get through the cushion and then you realize, oh, our partners don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. There you are. Yet I was convicted. The whole premise from the Lord was you're not to raise money. You're to invest in a relationship. And for two years, I had the, quote, opportunity to live in financial insecurity, really not knowing week to week how we were going to make it. 
And I had to come face to face with some things about myself that I didn't like. I realized I had really put a lot of security in my own financial cushion that I had set up in my savings account, a Roth IRA, and all this kind of stuff. But when you go through all that and it's gone, and there you are, you're going to find out what you're made of. You're going to find out, do you really trust God? Do you really believe he's faithful? And I, I didn't like it. I was kind of angry. I was frustrated. I didn't think it was fair. I was not having a good, you know, kumbaya relationship going on with my Father God in heaven. And I was becoming bitter throughout the whole process. My wife kept the spirit of generosity and faith and trust and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you find out when things don't go right, you really find out what you truly believe and trust in. So I found a lot of things about myself that weren't great. God's chipping away at me. But then I also found out some really powerful things about his people and how generous his people really are. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 says it really, really well when it comes to generosity. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Giving, the spirit of generosity, it's not optional. It's actually, it's a privilege. It's a joy. It's an opportunity that we get to function in holistically every day, but financially is definitely a part of it. And it really is his. Everything is his. God truly wants us investing in his kingdom here on earth as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as we keep our eyes on eternity. And there's so many opportunities that come along, tithes and offerings. You just see out there so many needs, and you really have to be led by the Spirit. There's not quite a formula with this, but it's such an opportunity. And even if we give to those who can't reward us, Christ guarantees he will personally reward us in heaven. That's not why we do it. The motivation is out of love, and we want to. Sometimes it's just out of pure obedience. It still is for me sometimes, even though God loves a cheerful giver. But this is something Christ guarantees. And here's what it's about. God wants your heart. He wants our hearts. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, time, and prayers where they will matter most. And you guys know, we know, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. You may say, I want more of a heart for missions. Well, Jesus tells you exactly how to get it. Put your money in the missions and your church to the poor, and your hearts will follow. And I like the saying right here, he who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his true treasures. To him, death is loss. He who lays up treasure in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's moving daily towards his treasures. To him, death is gain. And this is a big thing for me that I try to do daily right here is, here's the, here's the truth, here's the reality. Giving, giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person 
and a greater agenda. It dethrones me and it exalts him. And so we have the opportunity through financial generosity because, man, we've been blessed, and it's all from him. I mean, whether you make $30,000 or $300,000 a year, money can control you and consume you. And so the idea of giving back first fruits to God the Father to increase my faith, my love, my trust in him, I don't know where you are financially, but each and every one of us, wherever you are, this is something daily we need to respond to and be compelled by love to give back our first fruits and be led by the Spirit as we give, as opportunities arise. Because it was mentioned earlier, it's, it's much more blessed, blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'm not a pro on this. I'm learning and growing this in this all the time. And I'm continually amazed over the years of working in the church at the generosity of his people. It's extremely humbling. And many times I've been the beneficiary of that. And also the opportunity to want to give back. Because you think about that, whether it's money, whether it's time, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And so let me even give you an opportunity besides money, Deidre Hunter could use your first fruits of time and effort in the children's ministry. That's a great way to give your first fruits back. Children's ministry is always looking for volunteers. And so he loves a cheerful giver. He also loves a cheerful server, okay? But I want you to think about this this morning. Again, tithing, whatever you think it is, it was never meant to be our ceiling. It was meant to be our floor. And when you think about Jesus Christ, and when you think about what he gave, and he literally gave it all for you and me, that divine exchange on the cross. Every day, we have the opportunity to pay it forward, whether it's financially, time, money, love. If it's all done out of love, God's going to do some great things with it. I do want to say this. Some of you, again, today, you need to be challenged to really look, and you need to start giving. God, God actually commands that, and it's not, an, it's not an option, but he wants you to do it out of a place of love and grace and mercy and trust in him, that he's got you. And I'm still learning, but we, but we can all learn together. But I want you to think about the future of this church, the future of his kingdom here on earth. Christians need to be generous. That's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. So take advantage of the opportunities in front of you. And thank you. Thank you for all that the people have done who are here and who have gone before us, uh, because this is a very generous church. Josh is going to continue to talk about this next week. And um, this is one of those sermons, man, when you talk about money, I stick to my notes a little bit more than usual. And so thank you for listening to us as we approach this topic on generosity. And thank you for your generous spirit of giving. I want to pray over us. God, I thank you so much for your sons and your daughters here at Benville Church Christ. And we're blown away by your generosity. And how you literally gave us everything. And the spirit of generosity, it's such an opportunity to grow in trust and faith in you. You literally are Jehovah Jireh. You're the Lord who provides. And you even say, test me. And so, God, we are humbled by how blessed we all are in here. And, God, we're humbled by the opportunities to give back and trust you with what you've entrusted us with. May the spirit of generosity continue to flow in this church. And I thank you for all these wonderful examples sitting in front of me. And God, may we do this together. And may we do it with joy and expectation of what you're going to do because you said it, so we believe it. And we thank you for setting the supreme example through your son, Jesus Christ, who did it out of love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Maybe you need prayers at different times. We may have shepherds set up in the back. I'll be down here in front. Maybe you want to take Jesus Christ on in baptism and make him Lord and Savior of your life. Whatever you need, come forward or go in the back while we stand and while we sing. to me. 